Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robin Williams is just saying to him, "You're just a kid, and you don't." And he's just. I love that. I love that bench. So I love how that's set up. I love the bench setting and yeah. just like the. And the camera's just on Robin Williams, and yeah. you're just seeing this subtle. He's kind of looking at him with this contempt and this fascination at the same time, because he's just got this kid, who, and he's just saying, you know, like you, you can know all the books about art in the world. You've read everything, but you've never smelt what inside of the Sistine Chapel is like. It's just so beautiful. And then you slowly pan to Matt Damon. And his face, and it's just, he's just cut completely. He's completely thoroughly ashamed. Mm. No one's spoken to him like that. Such a powerful scene. Hello, film fans. Joining us in our studio today, we have Scarlett. Hello. Anna. Hello. And as always, Kobe. Hello. And we're here to review Good Will Hunting. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Scarlett and Anna. If you would like to introduce yourselves to our listeners and tell them about the work that you do, please. Hi, my name is Scarlett Russell. I am the entertainment editor at the Sunday Times Style magazine. So I look after all the celebrity covers that we do. I manage the film content, the TV content, the music content. And I have a podcast, Sunday Time Style podcast called Secrets of the Side Hustle, which is supporting female entrepreneurs that have started their own successful businesses. And you can catch that on all your main platforms. And there is an entertainment podcast in the works, but it's not there quite yet. But do listen out <laughs> on my social media for some more news about that. Can you tell us about the Side Hustle podcast and, yeah. why, and why, you, why you started it? So we started it because we... News UK, the, com- the company I work for, wanted to get in on the podcast action. And we have we had a sponsor, um, Benefit Cosmetics, were really interested in sponsoring a podcast. And we're throwing around a load of ideas. And there was seemed to be a bit of a gap for women in business mm. um, packaged in a really accessible way. So f- we wanted to promote a lot of young women who we'd interviewed in the magazine. And they'd done amazing things. And they had great 
um, advice. And it's just the way people launch businesses now is so different from 5, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. With the, um, the gig economy, I guess. Yeah, the economy and the, you know, the use of social media. And it's just so interesting. So we have some really great stories. So we started as six episodes. We in- interviewed six amazing different women. And then it was so popular. We were number one on the fashion and beauty charts on iTunes. And then Bobby Brown got in touch and said, we would love to sponsor a second series. So we're midway through filming the second series. By the time that this comes out, we've probably already done the second series. But it's fantastic. It's really interesting. It's not, you know, all these stories are so inspiring. But Mm. then there are a lot of millennial women there who've achieved so much. And I just think, oh, God, (laughs) I have not achieved anything. So, yeah, it's inspiring. Do you know what your side hustle would be if you were to start one? Well, I want to start another podcast. Well, there you this go. Is it. Yeah, there what's, we go. What's stopping you? There's nothing stopping me. That's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> happening. This is taking a while. <laughs> but um, I think the podcast that is, is, you guys have got really interesting podcasts in that it's it's niche and it's different. I think the podcast market now is, it's quite crowded. Um, so you have, it's kind of about honing in a really different idea. Mm. And I, I'm trying to do it through style um, and get a sponsor through there because then you have the backing of the Sunday Times. But then I think, well, maybe I should just do it myself and just get it done instead of waiting. So that's why it's been held up a little bit. So I don't know if I'm going to do it through them or just do it. Um, but I do like the idea of doing, yeah, a TV podcast. I don't think there's enough women talking about TV. So you you got out there and did it by yourself, didn't you, Anna? Yeah, so Girls on Film is um, women talking about film. Um, actually, I do it with my executive producer, Heather Archbold. And um, we have all female film critics discussing the latest releases, talking about classic movies, putting films to various tests like the Bechdel test. Um, and it could be any kind of common release. It could be you know, a big Marvel film, or we might talk about something with a female direct that's a bit more obscure in art house, try and mix it up. And um, we do have, what I loved about this is that we thought it might be difficult to attract A-list guests, but by episode three, Kerry Mulligan was asking to come on. So we've had amazing guests. We've had Brie Larson for Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. Ashana Lynch. Um, we've had Catherine Hahn. We've had the Amasanti. girls. Um, Amasanti, exactly. Mm-hmm. The girls from Booksmart. Well done. You've been paying attention. I've been, I've been listening. <laughs> I've been listening to both your podcasts. <laughs> Yay. Well, you know, Amma is actually one of my favourite interviewees. She was fantastic. We did um, a live episode at the Albright in Mayfair, which is an all-female club. And she was just so generous with her time and so generous with the people that came to watch and ask questions afterwards. Mm. And we had a kind of, someone called it, it was a bit like a kind of support session network. And it's, it's every, almost a therapeutic because everyone was sort of talking about the various issues they had as women, not in a kind of boo-hoo me kind of way, but in a what can we do about this and sisterhood sort of way and how do we get more exposure and, and sort of deal with sort of obstacles. So a lot of that chat goes on on and off air really on the podcast. Um, but we do, we do a lot of stuff on stage now increasingly because people just seem to love coming along and joining in like at home in Manchester, which is always really good for yeah. me. Um, I'm from Manchester and I do, I'm slightly good to the corner house cinema's gone, but home, so I've not been to home much since moving on to London, but... Uh, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. They're always so welcoming. We get great people. We had Maxine Peake yeah. last time and um, 3rd of September 2019, we're back at home, but also then 23rd of October and the 3rd of December. So you can go to homemcr.org if you want to book tickets. Good. Uh, Scarlett, you chose the film we're talking about today, Goodwill Hunting. I did. Uh, can you tell us why you chose it and give us a two-minute synopsis? Sure. So, first of all, this is one of my favourite films. So, I knew that I could come on. I wanted to talk about it. 
But interestingly, when I was invited to come on this podcast, it was the weekend I was thinking about what film I was going to choose. Mm. And it was the weekend that coincided with the five-year anniversary of Robin Williams' death. And I was kind of looking through and I did this Insta stories about all my favourite Robin Williams moments on film. And of course, Goodwill Hunting came up and I just thought, oh man, I really want to go on and talk about this film. I was so happy that it hadn't been done before because I really do think it was his best film, which is saying something because he's been in incredible films. You know, he'd been nominated for three Oscars. This was the time he won the fourth time. So that was why I chose it. And to sum it up, okay, the film is about a a young man, 20-year-old man called Will Hunting. And he is from, it's set in Boston, and he's from a very rough part of Boston. And he's had a very difficult, tough background. And he's a janitor at Harvard um, Harvard University. And it's, uh, sorry, it's MIT. It's MIT, yeah. Harvard MIT, is that how you say it? It's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It's like the the, the techie part, okay. whereas Harvard's more like the liberal arts kind of vibe. Wow, okay, yeah. right, okay. So so he's that, So he, and he you find out very early on that he is a genius. He is a mathematical genius, he has a photographic memory. And so instantly you're kind of faced with this juxtaposition of this guy from this really rough background who's kind of come from nothing, but he is this amazing mind. And he ends up in prison and he's bailed out by one of the college professors who's a mathematician played by Stellan Skarsgård. And he bails him out and he says, right, so um, instead of you going to prison, I want you to work with me. I'm going to bail you out. But as part of working with me, I want to use your brilliant mind for maths, but I want you to go and see a shrink once a week. And so Matt Damon thinks, fine, this is better than going to prison. And the shrink is Robin Williams. And thus begins this beautiful relationship that they form, this friendship. And it's this unravelling of Will's character as he goes through this, he goes through a journey where Mm. everything's broken down and you really understand his difficult past and why he is the way he is and there's love interest at the same time played by Minnie Driver and his best friends played by Ben Affleck who's also a great character and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon of course wrote this film they got an Oscar for this film they were 21 when they wrote it it's such an amazing story outside of how amazing the film is it's so interesting and it was really what made them the Hollywood players they are now it broke their career. Helen your thoughts on Good Will Hunting? Um, so I, I had seen this before. Um, it was quite a while ago, um, I think. So when um, you picked it, Scarlett, I was like, oh, I've not seen this for a while. I'm ready to uh, come back and revisit that. Um, and yeah, watching it obviously now, it's just really sad that obviously Robin Williams isn't with us today. Um, but it's also really great that he's left behind a great body of work. And he is grating this. And I think this was probably around the time where he'd become a little bit of a joke um, and had done kind of... Uh, Patch like, Adams. Yeah, and as a flubber, flubber around yeah. here, around that time. Um, so very much maybe sort of doing kids' films and not really doing the kind of films that most people would remember him for, um, obviously like Dead Poets or um, Good Morning Vietnam. So for him to do this and be so amazing and give a, a really subtle performance as well. Because he, he obviously misses Doubtfire is very much <laughs> laugh out loud and a lot of physical humour. Um, so I think when I watched this, it it really kind of changed how I thought about him. And I was actually, yeah, he is actually really good. And um, You mean when you watch this the first time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he is brilliant and a much deserved Oscar. And Affleck and Damon just in this, they're so cocky 
on and off the film about it and sort of so sure about it and in the way that they are that it's it's just a really kind of magnetic performance that they have between them and when you kind of think now obviously Matt Damon's pretty stellar but Ben Affleck's kind of having a bit of a sad time well he waxes and wanes doesn't he Mm-hmm. Um, with, yeah. with Argo is is uh, stock rose, mm-hmm. and then it went down again with Batman. Even though she's probably getting paid the most he's ever paid in his life, but people aren't regarding him as highly as he, as it did. I think they both watched watched the way in the bit, they? With, with yeah, I don't know. I think Matt Damon's been more. Kind of, Matt has been a bit more consistent. Yeah. Whereas straight after the kind of Oscar win, Matt Damon was like sh- straight away, and mm. then Ben Affleck did the whole Jersey Girl giggly thing. Yeah, and then yeah. it yeah. was his ups and downs, and then he won an Oscar Best Director Oscar. So he's really it's been more dramatic actually. Yeah. weirdly. But they've, their friendship has stayed throughout, which is lovely. Uh, Anna? Well, this is a really interesting one to revisit because I watched it when it came out and I liked it. I thought it was a good mainstream, heartwarming film. And as you say, Scarlett has a lovely behind-the-scenes stories. It's wonderful to see two young script writers writing stuff and doing so well. Fantastic. Robin Williams is great. However, I don't think this stands up like on the second thing in 2019 when we're talking now because first things you see are Weinstein Company okay Mm. okay so that already puts the bristles up and then (laughs) the way that it is written is so much of its time and it's so interesting to think that these things went past me you know the casual sexism the homophobia Mm. um the way the boys talk now it is presented as not ideal you know the, the kind of jocular way that they speak about each other and to each other um but it's still presented as funny and it's you're still being asked to laugh about guys basically sexually harassing a woman in a bar like so when they go to chat up mini driver really i mean the way they're talking to her not so much her but the the guy that's trying to defend her honor or whatever they're actually really vile to him when he's not doing anything particularly wrong that was my big beef for the film but there's also matt damon's character you know he he's he makes a lot of gay jokes to his first therapists you know Mm. like suggesting that they're gay and and it just left a nasty taste in my mouth i just felt even though I can see that it's well-structured in many ways and it's still an enjoyable film and I love the aspect of, you know, the classic aspect of that there's a genius, who is it? No one knows who it is and he's going to be discovered and his life will be changed. That's all wonderful. But this humour, I felt that we were being asked to just go, oh, boys will be boys. Mm. I was really uncomfortable with. I I think that's something that that we see a lot in 80s films as well um, that haven't aged well. The misogyny, racism, racism, and homophobia kind of plays out. And when you see, when you watch an 80s film and when none of that exists, you're like, oh, right, okay. What happened there? Um, and I was watching, I had, the, I was I was kind of looking down the same kind of lens as you were. When he when he said like the, to the first therapist, oh, you just wanted to jump me right then, didn't you? I was like, oh, did you need to go down that kind of route? Um, I think the Weinstein sign did kind of get my heckles up at the start, but then I think this film wouldn't have been made without the Weinstein at the time. And this... That's trying. I, I'm quite happy to separate Weinstein Company from the film because I don't think they're as ingrained. He's as, as ingrained as you know, like Louis C.K. is and stuff like that. I'm hard and like Bill Cosby. I'm harder. I'm finding it harder to separate those guys out from from the Weinstein film. And I'm you know, I'm super glad this film got made. Um, I think for me, it was Weinstein as well, but also um, I remember that obviously Casey Affleck is in it, yeah. playing a not particularly Good nice guy. character. Yeah, um, and that was more, I think, for me. I'm like, oh yeah. And these guys, obviously, they don't portray themselves to be good guys. At the start, the, the fight happens because he recognises a guy that he had a fight with in kindergarten, which is 15 years ago. 
And I still have a problem with that scene. I'm still like, why are you why doing that? Do that? But see, it's, it's set his character, isn't it? That yeah. he's and that's, basically that's doesn't... the character they're setting up. And, it's, and I don't think they make any apologies for it. So I was, I think I was less, I kind of went, okay, that's, they're presenting these guys as knobheads. They're all idiots. And unfortunately, that's who we're hanging out with and trying to root for. But does he but have I don't think, a turnaround? I don't think so. I th- see, that's, I think that, it, they weren't shown to be celebrating that. I think that was to show the product of their environment. They're from these really terrible backgrounds. And a big part, part of Matt Damon's story in this, his cat Will Hunting story, is that he all he's known as abuse. And so, of course, he's going to be like that. Of course, he's going to be super defensive. And the you mentioned where he's homophobic to um, the first therapist. I don't mm. think we are supposed to laugh. I think that is supposed to, you're not supposed to agree with it. And actually, he's 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 a bit of a dick in, in that uh, film. This is part absolutely. of it. This is what I mean by the journey is that he's, when Robin Williams comes in and he just breaks him down into yeah. this little boy, because that's all he is. He is ultimately a little boy with this amazing mind. And I think that all that does is it just builds up to be, you want to see him broken down. It makes the scene where Robin Williams does emotionally just tear him apart which definitely got him the oscar so (laughs) fabulous and i think yeah the weinstein stuff sure case affleck sure all that stuff is obviously deplorable but i think you just got separated it's a different conversation yeah i mean the weinstein thing is really i'm 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 with kobe that you you do separate it and 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 i'm not going to go back boycotting all weinstein films but it's an example of how things have changed so much since that film was made. And it's a little reminder at the beginning of the film when I don't even need that reminder because I'm always thinking about this through this kind of lens. But um, the fact that it really, in terms of the language of the film, and and I do think it is intended comedy a lot of the time, um, doesn't really stand up if you're, you know, looking at it from this kind of woke 2019 perspective. Mm. Even two years ago, it might have felt different. It's so interesting how things are constantly changing. I think you and I were actually having this discussion the other day about another mm. film, Scarlet, that... You know, it's it's amazing how quickly things change and you yourself will view something differently further down the line. And you've obviously got more of an emotional attachment to the film than I have. Maybe, but So I'm sort of taking more of a kind of you know, critical look, but I do think it's problematic. With the with the Will character, um, when he first meets Sean, when he first meets Robin Williams' character, the that you could just see he's just going for the stab. He's just going for the stab, mm. stab, stab. Um, so when that scene first happens where he's having to go at him saying about his paintings like oh you met the wrong woman and that's when he, he sees that chink in Robin Williams armour yeah. and you can just t- you just know that Will is he might not necessarily be homophobic but he went for the I'm going to go for the gay joke with with the, with, the, with that first therapist um, he went for some nonsense with the second uh, therapist that we saw and he just really wants to break down Robin Williams and when he does that was that's still one of the most startling things for me I always forget that that happens that Robin Williams gets him around the throat yeah. And like says, I will end you. Yeah. And that's that's really what what Will is going for. There's I don't necessarily. Uh, yeah. So I think the first two ones are, are kind of played for laughs. Um, but he's just trying to be the dick to get himself out of this situation, which he feels is like yeah, he just most looks oppressive. for the in and is obnoxious and horrible and gets the end result. Mm. And because he's so intelligent, he can work out what their triggers are mm. and use them. Yeah, he's he's bored. He's bored by all of this. And this is why he's so angry, because he's got this gift and he's never been taught what to do with it. And he's not from an environment that would encourage it. So he's just, all these people he just sees as playthings and about getting to them. And he sees Robin Williams exactly right. And he knows that getting to him is by talking about his dead wife and then Robin Williams's reaction. But you see so much in that film because mm. instantly you see that Robin Williams is how 
much of his past is still in his present and how much that affected him. And you just set it up for this really interesting dynamic. And then it leads into the next scene where, which is the Oscar scene, where Robin Williams is just saying to him, you know, when you said that I stayed up half the night thinking about it and then I just stopped thinking about you because yeah. you're just a kid and you don't, and he's just... I love that. I love that bench. So I love how that's set up. I love the bench setting and yeah. just like the... And the camera's just on Robin Williams and yeah. you're just seeing this subtle, he's kind of looking at him with this contempt and this fascination at the same time because he's just <laughs> got this kid who, and he's just saying, you know, you don't mean anything to me. You've got you've got this amazing brain, but you've not lived, you don't know anything. Mm. Like you you can know all the books about art in the world. You've read everything, but you've never smelt what inside of Sistine Chapel like it's just so beautiful and then you slowly pan to Matt Damon and his face and it's just he's just cut completely he's completely thoroughly ashamed mm. no one's spoken to him like that such a powerful scene um when you see when you first see Robin Williams in this my I was like on the verge of like fuck <laughs> what, this guy though I think very I, hairy no, <laughs> no. I think just generally like missing him. I think oh. of the like celebrity deaths that happened in the past few years. I was just like, I think he was one of the, the biggest for me that and like it's deeply, properly. Yeah, it's deeply sad and tragic that you know he obviously had mental health problems, mm. and here he is paying a therapist, and it's just horrible irony of someone that didn't feel he could cope with life, and then playing this therapist who sort of got a lot of the answers yeah. despite his own tragedy. Yeah, I agree. It was really poignant. And yeah, also, yeah. Um, obviously, the Elliot Smith soundtrack as yes. well. Um, equally as point, poignant. Yeah. Um, he is no longer with us either and also struggled massively. Yeah, he committed suicide as well, didn't he, Elliot? I think it's recorded as, yeah. yeah. But it's it's slightly open. But yeah, so um, another Oscar winner, um, but no longer with us. Um, the other is Danny Elfman, I think, is this, uh, the mm, scores this mm, track. Mm. Normally, I find him very irritating. Um, but in this... Well, that's because he normally works with... Tim Burton and that's kind of the sound that they create when they're together. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not that big a Tim Burton fan, so I don't think it's that necessarily. But I always. He always kind of gets my heckles up. I can use the heckles I see, up. Because I, a few I times. like him, but I like Tim Burton, mm. so maybe I think sure, might that be might right, be right, a connection. Yeah, there is a connection. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I thought. Yeah, I love the Elliot Smith. I was like fascinated with Elliot Smith after this, and particularly Miss Misery and um, Between the Bars. I was like, yep. Yep, I love that to bits. And again, when I watched it, went to Spotify, downloaded it and absorbed it all again. Uh, I think it all works really well. Mm. And Gus Van Sant is the director as well. Mm. I, I, yeah. it would, I would struggle to think who else at that time would direct a film in that way because it was so well directed. And yeah, it was it was amazing that they actually managed to get it off the ground. If you think about it, they've got Robin Williams and Gus Van Sant and these kids who'd only just broken out. Into, I mean, they would say they'd been in Hollywood for about 10 years up yeah. until then, but... They, you know, I read, saw an interview with Matt Damon recently. He was saying it was five years in the making of that film, which actually isn't even that long. But considering how new they were to yeah. get it off the ground, it's such a great story. Well, they tried so many places before Weinstein. It really yeah. was the Weinstein that helped them do it because they. And apparently, it was originally conceived as a thriller as well. Actually, the first script had, had thriller elements, and then they had people consulting and saying, "Actually, I think you should focus on the relationship between the therapist mm. and Will," which was obviously a very smart move. Mm. But one scene I actually do really like in this film is the first date with Minnie Driver's character. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really refreshing because she's acting kind of goofy. It's not the kind of manic pixie dream girl kind of goofy yeah. it's just a woman who snorts when she laughs and isn't afraid to put a false moustache on and some crazy glasses in as part of a joke mm. and she really kind of owns herself that 
character and she's not kind of kowtowing to him at all. Um, and I thought that even though she hasn't got enough to do in this film particularly, mm. I thought that scene and the first early scenes, and I felt I felt that she may have had something to do with it because it just felt very British and very authentic and perhaps connected to the actress that they cast. Mm. I, they, they had a lot of trouble getting her through because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon both wanted her in and she was desperate to do it. And Harvey Weinstein was, and a lot of the other producers, I think, were also saying, no, you need someone more bankable, a hot girl. And of course it wouldn't have worked because that's the great thing about it. She was just smart and beautiful, but not in an overly sexy way, um, which you wouldn't have seen a lot of in 1992 six or seven when it came out um so they really championed for her i'm so glad they did but i have to say when i first started watching it i i wasn't sure that she was right i wasn't convinced i thought it didn't really gel and then the more and more i saw it i thought mm. i actually know the casting's quite brilliant they work really well together but the irony is of course now she she has also dated matt damon yeah. has picked him up on his comments about weinstein so it's all got very interesting well yeah. he, she was also dumped on tv so i think she's <laughs> what, got him yeah that's the famous thing where he was he on letterman or something and no, he, he announced that, that he was um single or something and basically at the time they were still publicly together um so yeah she was famously dumped by oh, matt I damon i didn't know that i all i knew yeah. she said that it ended and it was dark the way it ended and she wished yeah. they could have been friends wow yeah oh that's disappointing mm. so i'm i do struggle with her character a bit because i think at the start she's quite brilliant and funny and fresh but then I think I don't know she just kind of panders to him a bit too much and a bit quickly and I would have liked to have maybe have been a bit stronger yeah. rather than sort of sobbing and distraught mm. been a bit more like I love you you're being an idiot kind of thing rather than like her world's completely just ended because he's he's not going to move with her so it shifts a little bit and I I don't know. I'm still not quite sure about. I, I had that. some kind of, again, you guys, you guys both bringing like things, thoughts I've had through watching the film. I had a similar kind of thing as, as well. And what made me reconcile it? What, the, in fact, the biggest problem I had was that the fact that the the point where there he's like hitting the wall and she's crying because she, he doesn't know if he wants to go to Stanford with her, is that this is the point where they both find out they were both like orphans or the parents died. And you think they've got this like big relationship and you're saying like, come to, come to California, but they don't know like anything about anything about them. And that for me is like, that's the, that's a biggest. She should be more pissed off with him that he's been lying about having these brothers. Yeah. Um, so that was the biggest thing, but I thought her agency and the fact that she, in other films, she would have gotten, okay, I'll stay in Boston and we'll hang out for a bit longer. I was like, but she still, there was a kind of slight fawning thing where she's on the plane about to go, is he, is he here? Yeah. Is he? Okay. It's a bit like, yeah. Mm, yeah. you've got a lot going for you and yeah. you, you were much cooler when you were like playing it cool and... I don't know. That I think that's a little bit of shame. But then but I guess that's what happens him. when men <laughs> men write women. Sometimes, <laughs> maybe, point, maybe. Point. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. So, do you think that would be different now than Anna? Um, I guess post Times Up, and uh, obviously, again, this is a very kind of uh, straight white film, isn't it? As well. So, I think had this come out, maybe Netflix would have bought it. Um, this is kind of yeah. Netflix kind of thing would have maybe like this and I think it would have been a bit more diverse in the in, in the play out but I still think you would have had the central Will and 
Will and Sean aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with films that centre around men. That's fine. But mm. I think now, hopefully, filmmakers do feel more of a responsibility to do justice to all the characters and also to to have, you know, colourblind auditions and all those kind of things. So I think hopefully you would have seen more diversity and you would have seen um, characters who are a bit stronger written and, you know, had a bit more agency. Um, in terms of the females. And also you've got to think about the age that these guys were when they wrote this. It's, mm. It is kind of a bro film in, in, in sort of mainstream packaging. You know, they were, you know, writing about women, as you suggest, from not that much experience. Sure. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I do think that even Hollywood films now are much more aware just in the last year. And we certainly found that from the guests that we've had on Girls on Film. Mm. They're much more aware that they have to be at least seen to be doing something, you know, <laughs> for gender parity. They may not succeed, but they might try. I think the things like um, Oscar So White and um, and Time's Up are really are helping. Mm. Um, this year really pissed me off with the Oscars in that there were so many amazing female directors of films that just didn't get a look in. And But com- compare that to the Oscar So White there weren't that many films in contention that had um, that would have been up for up for grabs. I think that were had a non-white cast. But then, you know, two years later, that's changed a lot. But I think this year there was just so many like awesome films with female. Leave no trace. You were never really here. Yeah, not a nomination. Just yeah, just, obscene. That's Agreed. and that's that's bullshit. But I think that's part of the problem of the Oscars anyway, mm. and that it's going to take more than a, a few campaigns and. People think, sort of calling it out. It's just because who who, who mainly votes for the films that are in, included in there, and you know, it's it's part of Oscars culture that it's going to take a lot for that to really, really, really actually change, and for them to actually continue doing it. So fair enough, they get called out one year, so mm-hmm. they make it more diverse, and then the following year they're like, oh well, we did that last year, so we're all right, we can get away but with. They have, um, well, Oscars so white seems to have per- pervaded yeah. like a few years, so I'm hoping. It does mean I think it's so big now, it's not something mm. that can just be for it's not like, oh, we'll just nominate Black Panther and that'll be it. It's like, no, this is needs to change <laughs> and things have to be moving all the time and hopefully they will be. But yeah, it's I totally agree that of course it was a product of a film being made in the 90s that was nowhere near as diverse as of course it should have been, unfortunately. But yeah, that was that's a problem that a lot of films made like mm. in that era had. So we had to the scores. head over to the painted flicks watcher scores all of our scores are out of five you may have decimal places if you wish and uh, we will start with you scarlet with the recommendability please so okay so would i recommend this to people yeah i would definitely recommend it to people because i just love it and i would think i would love people to see it make up their own mind as well i mean there might be some people who it's not really their kind of film um but I don't know, 4.8. Let's go for that. Boom. Just for the, the two not being there, just in case people have no interest in seeing it whatsoever, that they don't, for a lot of the reasons you've said, maybe they don't want to see a Weinstein film or something like that. I would completely understand, but I would still recommend this film. I know. It's a tough one because I think um, if you haven't seen it before, then it's definitely a big piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. And I actually probably would recommend it to slightly younger viewers and I hope that doesn't sound patronising just because there are quite a few cliched elements in it overall, quite a few familiar elements that you, you will see coming if you've watched a lot of movies but if you're a bit younger then I think this one might sort of, you know, be more rewarding. Um, but I'd still probably go for a 3.5. Helen? Yeah, so I mean, I. it is hard to ignore a lot of the things that we've we've talked about um, but you know, 
deep down it is I, I think it's it still holds up um from when I watched it the first time round and that really just for the Robin Williams performance mm. um it's a great performance and it's just really subtle and really warm and I don't think it's particularly cliched um and yeah I really enjoy it so I'm going to go for a 4.5 yeah 4.5 as well um I do love it and I was, I was super I'm sure well it's going to lean into the repeat viewing score which is next but when you recommended it I was like, when you suggested you were doing it I was like yes finally I think it's one of the films I've been hoping someone had brought on would bring had on had it to. always been on I can't no, it remember can, it bounces in and out it bounces in and out I think um, or at least it, it bounces in and out on my feed when you log into it so I don't know if it had been there for a while or it kind of disappears Netflix we don't understand how you do these things <laughs> but just like you said, Robin Williams. I've got a list of Robin Williams films here, and I think it's my it's my favourite of his serious ones, um, certainly. Um, but I think it might even be my favourite of his non serious ones. Um, perhaps Aladdin is is my is a is a big one for me. The Birdcage, incredible film. Oh, we we reviewed the Birdcage recently, Did, I mean, yeah. and that was good. He's fun, fun in that. Yeah, mm. uh, Insomnia is really good though. He's so good in that. Yeah, and um, like. He, he kind of Dead Poet Society. Yeah. And 24-hour photo, he seems to be creepy and That's weird dark, in isn't that. It? Yeah. I mean, I used to really, really, really love Good Morning Vietnam mm. when I was younger. Mm. Um, just the energy that he has in that. And I think when I, I was a child, I'd watched Hook more than once. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> but um, I, See, I loved it as a kid, but I'm scared to rewatch it. But I, I think, don't think you, if someone I don't would... think it was made for adults. But it's still one of those nostalgia things, isn't it? You do kind of forgive your... Uh, adult self if you watched it when you because I saw it in the cinema it was probably with a few friends you know Peter Pan is a great thing to see in the cinema and he's flying it's like Robin Williams is flying this guy's flying so um, but I understand everyone does say it's crap <laughs> so I know what you mean about being a bit scared you're like I really hope it stands up and it's yeah. just awful if you watch it and it doesn't um, yeah Depot Society mm. I, I yeah, love Depot Society mm, incredible. so great Ferngully. So he had, a, I mean, he's, he's just an amazing, it was like him and Eddie Murphy, like two of the sharpest wits on the block. And mm. <sighs> he didn't die in that big year when everyone else died, but. No, 2014 it was. Him. Yeah, he gone. He went. So sad. This film's like 20 years old. Yeah, it was, 22. It Thanks for freaks reminding me. me out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Freaks me the fuck out. Um, repeat viewing scores. So in that 22 years, um, how many times do you think you watched it? When Scarlet? <laughs> I watched it so many times. <laughs> and also we should say it's Matt Damon is incredible in this film as well. Mm. He was nominated for an Oscar, he didn't win. But he's so good in this film. He's just, you can't not watch him. He's I think very he's gorgeous really, as well. He in is this very film. gorgeous. He's not gorgeous. to, you know, patch me to him, but yeah. Oh yeah, he's a beautiful boy. Um, repeat viewing, I mean, come on, what am I going to, I've seen it so many times as a five, obviously for me. I think but you do, you keep on seeing it and you keep on noticing different things mm. and, yeah, gets me every time. <laughs> Anna? Well, because I unfortunately was rather disappointed with it the second time, I'd say, I'd say 3.5. Um, Is this only the second time you've seen it, do you think? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, oh, really? I watched it when it came out. I, I may have watched it, half watched it another time. Sure. But, you know, as a film critic, you mostly spend your time watching new films. You don't actually have much time to revisit old mm. ones. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I probably saw it at a press screening when it came out. Sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, the, the passing of time, is, as I've said, it didn't stand up. But I think um, there are definitely aspects that I'd love to revisit so obviously the Robin Williams performance in certain scenes I think are well worth revisiting that scene where he recounts meeting his wife for the first time 
Yeah, that's lovely. This, this, for for oh. like a serious film, there's a, a lot of good lines in this for me. Mm. And it is one of my favourite last lines in a film. That's sort of a bit, she stole my line. Yeah. Um, I love that to bits. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there for me that which I... Yeah, and also really we haven't really like. talked about the, um, the, the sense of kind of sort of regret, but not regret that he has with Stellan Starsgård's character, where there's obviously a lot of history between them. And I mean, Sean and Stellan, yeah. yeah. Um, Sean and Mr. Lambo. Yeah, and um, it's kind of shaped their relationship and it's sort of, of, you know, Sean's character maybe could have pushed himself more and you, you kind of, you wonder what happened or what moments kind of went on for them to be like that and to shape them. So that's another quite interesting relationship that's going on yeah. in the film. Uh, so you repeat, you, you said 3.5. Yeah. Uh, Helen. I've definitely seen this once before. I don't know... If I've seen it more than that, maybe. Okay. Um, so I, I enjoyed revisiting it, um, but I don't know how likely I am to go back to it. And it is over two hours as well. Just. Just. Um, so I'm going to go for a three. Um, I'm going to go for a four here. I think I've seen, I've, I probably watch it once every couple of years um, and it tends to be on like a Sunday afternoon and I'm like, yeah, that's what's good with hunting. Um, I've always forget it's two hours long. It, it doesn't feel that long for for that kind of film. Um, and I'm I'm sure I will continue to watch it uh, and be more and more woke each time I <laughs> watch it. By the way, that's the same for me every two years. I don't watch it every week. Sure. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> like it is like every two three years. <laughs> but yeah, like twenty years. I've watched it like eightish times. I would have thought. Amazing. Yeah. Um. What did I say? I can't remember what I said. Four, you said four. Four. Good. Glad someone's paying attention. Um, small screen score. Did you see this in the cinema? Um, I didn't see this in the cinema. Mm. No, I was a little bit young for that when it would have come out in the cinema. So I've only ever seen it on the, on the TV. Yeah. I've seen it on various sizes of TV. Um, so yeah, I, I have no reference point. I certainly wouldn't watch it on my phone. I don't think that would have the same effect. I'm not really a fan of watching films on phones anyway, unless they're silly and funny. But I think for this, you do need the bigger screen. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to say, I can't keep on giving fives. So I'm going right. to give it a four. You can give it less than a five, but a bit. You can give it a five if you want. Don't feel the need to... You can dish out as many fives as you like. Yeah. Okay, I'll go for 4.5. <laughs> I'm way too generous. Anna? So I think it's a four because I think it works perfectly fine so long as you're not on a tiny little screen. Sure. Helen? Um, so I did not see this at the cinema. Um, so I've only ever, ever seen it on um, TVs of varying sizes. So um, I'm going to give it a five. I think it, it's... I don't think I would have got anything else out of it or had a different experience had I watched it in the cinema and um, again if it's one of those films that maybe you've sort of heard about and not yet seen it is on Netflix so you can go and check it out so it's nice that it's there and available yeah I'm going to five it as well um, often we talk about the kind of shared experience of watching it in the in the cinema but I don't think I would have got that uh, in this particularly the soundtrack you know I like Taylor Smith as a result of listening to it, but I don't think that really breathes down your neck in the same way that you need to. It needs to envelop you. So um, it looks great, even on a on a small screen. So yeah, five. If this came on the Prince Charles Cinema, I don't think I'd really want to go. So yeah, I think I'm yeah five. As I said, uh, engagement score. Scarlet. Remind me, engagement score. So engagement score is how much you are tied into the film. Once you press play, are you like Sorry. playing, are you looking at Twitter, are you checking IMDb? I mean, absolutely like, not for me. I feel yeah. like you're really, this is one of the things I really love about the film is that you are really engrossed mm. all the way through. And I think that's, 
it's a lot because of Gus Van Sant's direction. I just think he really draws you in. I have to say five. I'm just going to do it. It's five for me. Don't feel embarrassed. <laughs> Anna. Do you know, I have to say I wasn't gripped. I mean, because this is the second time I viewed it, of course, I think if the first time I watched it, I would have been quite gripped. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know what happened. So I was drifting off because it is quite long and I do, I do think some scenes feel a little bit surplus to requirements and there are other aspects that could have used more work, more characterization. As you're saying about the Stellan Skarsgård character, a bit more of that I thought would be good. Um, it's kind of split its focus a little bit between a lot of characters. Um, so I'm going to go for A3. Helen. Um, so yeah, it, it's. I'm trying to think about how engaged I was on the first time versus now. So obviously the second time around, I kind of... I was like going, oh yeah, I remember this bit, um, but not not one hundred percent engaged because I was doing a little bit of like um, trivia thingy because it's just like the background's quite interesting. So I four. Um, I think I'm going to go for four and a half here. I I didn't see this. I didn't see this at the cinema purely because it probably wasn't the kind of film I watched at seventeen um, when it came out. But when I saw it, and I think it was like a film four type thing, and press play or just so I turned the channel on, I was just like from the start, I was like, yes, I really like this. And I'd seen Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in Kevin Smith stuff before. So I kind of knew of them, but didn't really um, know. I think no one knew what kind of people they could become. I think they were always like kind of side jokes almost or kind of funny characters. But I just loved the way that there's that story behind them that they had, they felt they needed to do something to make further their careers and they produced this thing. Um, And it it does help me kind of engage in the film a bit more. So I'm really big, really big fan of it. 4.5. And that gives us an overall score of 4.3 exactly. Wow. Exactly. Very strong. Yeah. Uh, So we do reach out to Twitter uh, before we record. And in this case, we said we're reviewing hashtag Goodwill Hunting with Anna Smith-Journo and Scar Rose Russell from ST Style. Have you seen it? Gives your thoughts on on-air shout out on Flixwatcher with a five-star review um, and your thoughts. We had, oh, we had a couple of responses. Um, Scarlett, can you take us through the first one? Sure. So should I read out the user as well? Yes, please. That is Amanda Pick. Amanda's pick show a go-go and she says the acting and writing are top-notch. I watched it again about a year ago and was surprised how well it holds up. Anna, can you say the last one? So Death by Film podcast um, has said five stars and all-timer such good dialogue. So true. The dialogue mm. is so strong for these kids. It's such an accomplished script. You know, they've got this really intelligent dialogue throughout. It's quite impressive. It sounds like what you, Anna, you, you were talking about the making of it, in, well, the making of it, the background behind it, where they probably went down a typical like young young boy, young adult, sorry, young male, trying to make a film and thinking thriller aspects and other people saying, no, pare it down. This is the core of the probably film. Probably had like boobs in it and all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Um, but having someone there, it's probably it's still important to have someone there to give you a bit of focus mm. and like get to the yeah. core of the story. And a lot of the people that made the most successful films have listened to other people, and yeah. you go to the top people. George and Lucas, you ask for example, them how they do it? Yeah. Have you seen the how how Star Wars was was um, was created in the edit? No, how? Because there's like a short there's like a short YouTube video about 15 minutes long, and apparently he showed uh, George Lucas showed the first cut to um, Spielberg and Scorsese, and they were like, "Dude, this is this is dog shit. You need to change it." And they it's really like really look out for it. It's like just a 15 minute clip, and they just explain what they thought was wrong with it, mm. and he went back and changed a lot of it, and like, made it into the epic that it was. So if it had gone out in the 
So you do need those people to foster yeah, you. Friends in the right places. Yeah. They touched on that in the Steven Spielberg documentary. Have you seen right. that? I think it's just called Spielberg. Because he was all friends and he gave George Lucas loads of feedback. <laughs> and so he, and he said something about, yeah, so I should really be credited for Star Wars. But it's so true. They were all friends. Francis Ford Coppola. That's they were right, all yeah, mates. So they were all in the same crew. And kind of, it's wonderful. Yeah, they were influenced each other. Right. Uh, thank you very much for coming on, guys. Can you give us a sign up by telling us where we can find you online? So you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Anna Smith Journo, as in journalist. Um, there you can find out more about Girls on Film. We post all the latest episodes, but you can also find us on Spotify, SoundCloud and iTunes. And please subscribe. Cool. So you can find out more about me on Twitter at Scar Rose Russell and Instagram at Scarlet Rose Russell. Um, and on thetimes.co.uk forward slash style is where we have all our amazing entertainment content for Style magazine. We also have a free um, website, video website, Style Play. And by now you'll be able to see some amazing Sienna, video, Sienna Miller videos, Billy Porter videos. We've got so much great content out there that's wonderful and exclusive to style. So please do look at it. Fantastic. Thank Thanks you very much. Thanks so much for coming on. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.